Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is my friend and co-host, Adam. Hello, Patch. How are you? I'm good. I didn't have anything fun to say on this episode no. because I don't want to refer to you as a killmonger because I don't think you are, and that would just be insulting. <laughs> I don't so, really want to be Tony Stark either. I don't think he wants to be Tony Stark after what happened in this episode. So, <laughs> yeah, you're, and I guess he's not anymore. Spoiler: uh, Here we are. We are in the thick of, I guess, the backside of season one of What If Marvel's animated series, based loosely off the comic book idea, but really about the MCU. And we are covering What If Killmonger rescued Tony Stark. This was an interesting episode to get into because I, for one, am not a person who leans heavily into ratings. I try not to hit Rotten Tomatoes until after I see a movie because I really don't want to be jaded. But when you're recording a podcast and you have to visit IMDb frequently to check on cast lists and other bits of trivia, you can't help but see the user ratings from IMDb. And we talked about this on a previous episode that for the most part, my ratings fall in line with the ratings of the episodes that we've covered. You know, the ones that have been up there have been ones that I've enjoyed. We've gotten to one of the lower rated ones, and maybe it's being sort of influenced by that number, but I would have to agree. This is probably, at this point, my least favorite. I'll get into why I think so here in a few minutes, but I wanted to kind of get your thoughts. Did you fall in the same trap, or is this one like, you're wrong, and the world is wrong, and we <laughs> need more of stories like this? <laughs> well, yeah. As I suspected... And I think I mentioned this in a previous episode. As I read the titles, I actually haven't looked on IMDb. I do check the Wikipedia page for What If, which is a good source because it has no ratings of any kind, just has good information. There's a good synopsis, cast listing for every episode, some production information. So that that's a good resource without giving any idea of what other viewers are thinking of each episode. But I've been judging them sort of based on the titles and is this something that i would want to see honestly this title was the least interesting sounding to me of all of them so i kind of went in with low-ish expectations although after watching five episodes of the series now and being pleasantly surprised by how much i've really enjoyed most of these episodes i was a little more hopeful that it might kind of find a way to make me love it and it's sort of a mixed bag for me because I like aspects of it. And like all the other episodes, it has great animation, a great voice cast, many of which are reprising their roles from MCU films, mostly Black Panther and Iron Man. Michael B. Jordan is back as Killmonger, which is great. And he looks and sounds just like he does in the film, which is fantastic. John Favreau, Chadwick Boseman is back. Uh, we also have Angela Bassett, Andy Serkis, Don Cheadle, and uh, Paul Bettany as Jarvis, J-A-R-V-I-S, the AI that turns into Vision later on. And we even have uh, Leslie Bibb back, who plays Christine Everhart, the reporter, yes. who I mentioned yeah, yeah. Uh, 
in a previous episode. So yeah, they keep bringing in some top-notch talent and there's great, like in most of the other episodes, great action here. Great action sequences, really compelling fight scenes. This one's quite violent as well. A lot of people die, which is kind of shocking. But I guess my biggest issue with this particular episode is it felt forced and sort of unlikely to happen the way it did. Sort of the idea that Killmonger could have successfully pulled off like an Emperor Palpatine plan <laughs> from Star Wars. It's like right, he right. has so many moving pieces, so many things he's doing. It's so pre-planned. It just didn't, I didn't buy it that he could have pulled this whole scheme off. And for that reason, it didn't quite work for me, but it's still worth watching. I wouldn't tell somebody not to check it out. I don't think it's a bad episode, but I think ultimately... I think there's really two episodes here that would have been interesting to see. One would be really the concept of the first half, I would say, or the first quarter of what would happen if Tony Stark had never been captured in Iron Man and and thus never became Iron Man. So how would what would those ramifications be? That to me is right. is a, is a story in itself that would be really interesting to see. That would be a great episode, and they kind of gloss over that. They show some scenes early on of how the Avengers, everything would have transpired completely differently if Iron Man hadn't been there to be sort of a leader of the Avengers. And then there's sort of the secondary plot where they're kind of mashing Black Panther into Iron Man. And to me, it really should have been called like, what if Killmonger had become Black Panther? That's like another episode, right? So I think that's where my issue is, is that it just feels like two very distinct storylines and movies that were sort of mashed up for some reason. I'm not quite sure why these two properties were were kind of forced upon one another, especially because they take place chronologically 10 years apart. Iron Man came out in 2008, Black Panther in 2018. So you have two films that really never had any overlap at all, which makes me wonder, does this episode take I think it does. It takes place over the course of those 10 years. It's just we're seeing it really sort of sped up. I'm not sure. That's a question I had for you if you took that from the episode. Anyway, that's kind of where I land. I I know it's kind of wishy-washy. It's because I don't want to be too critical of it because I did like a lot of aspects. I had fun watching it and I enjoyed a lot of aspects of it, but I just didn't feel like it wasn't as well conceived as the others. Yeah, I would agree with that. There were several things that watching the episode kind of bothered me and I will preface it with the first point that will kind of parry into the the other points since 2008 we've gotten bigger better faster stronger I was watching it and it felt very much like Iron Man like 2008 in 2008 we were wowed by Iron Man we loved the quips we thought Robert Downey Jr. was just money and I think because of the success of the MCU to go back to that, to kind of go back to the well or to retread over your first property, I think creates a bit of a blah kind of factor. Like there was, the wow factor wasn't there. If I'd watched this movie or this episode in 2008, I probably would have been like, dude, this is amazing. Yeah. When you watch this episode, it feels kind of classic. It feels sort of contained in this era where these jokes were funny and everything that Tony Stark said was kind of like, ha 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 ha. The dialogue, the writing here felt very kind of stale. 
I just felt like it was old school jokes, like it was old MCU, which is kind of crazy to think the MCU is that old that we can call something old MCU. I mean, and it's a testament. That's the thing is the thing that makes the MCU so great can also cause it to be sort of like misplaced when it comes to stuff like this, because we now have a period of time that we can compare this to. Like, yeah, this is this is circa 2008 writing right here. This is like when they were Iron Manning it and Incredible Hulking it and that kind <laughs> yeah. of stuff. And we still like those movies. Like, I, I will go back and watch Iron Man probably more often than not because it's the first entry. It's the thing that got you into it. Have you recently watched Iron Man 1? When Infinity War and Endgame, or excuse me, when Endgame came out, there was a period we were doing this for the film film Facebook group mm. that there was a period where you could actually watch every movie leading up to end game. There was enough time to watch, but you know, obviously you couldn't just, you have to either, you couldn't, you had to double up if you missed a week. And so at that point I'd started doing that. I was watching a lot of phase oh, one, got it. phase one stuff. So you did like a full, a full rewatch or of the, as much films. as I could. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, like, like most things I sort of kind of petered out because I just lost, time i mean it's that's a yeah. lot of I mean, that's two that's two hours that you got to dedicate a week plus the movie that you're covering for the podcast i mean we weren't covering the mcu all the way yeah, right that. that was not happening <laughs> it's a big investment but that was the last time i watched iron man was when that was happening so it's been a it's been a few years but recently it hasn't been since 2008 or it's been like 10 years from i think i saw it again right before the first avengers came out so i saw it a lot early on like i, I bought the blu-ray when it came out in 2009 so it's ingrained in my memory so I, I remember every aspect of it but i do wonder if it holds up and that's kind of going back to your point is it yeah. of its time or does it still work is the humor dated you know all of that i'm curious because it's clearly in this episode picking up from where that film was coming from and it hasn't really modernized it this episode yeah. hasn't try to make it feel more relevant to today. It's sort of making right. it, it's trying to replicate what it was back then. Right. And I think that some of that is embedded in Mick Wingert's performance. You mentioned the voice cast. We yeah. didn't get Robert Downey Jr. making his reprisal role as Tony Stark. But I do want to throw some love to to Mick because he did a really fantastic job at pulling off Tony Stark. Like if I didn't know that it wasn't Robert Downey Jr., I would have thought that it was. He had the vocal mannerisms, I guess you could say, because obviously you can't see him. He, um, he has done lots of voice acting. He is most famous for voicing Poe from the Kung Fu Panda TV series, which I could hear that because Jack Black's Poe sounds a lot like similar to Iron Man's and you know Tony Stark and that kind of... I can't describe the voice, but the vocal range, that kind of thing, the sort of quippiness. And so he lands the jokes. The problem is that those jokes feel like they've already been told. I didn't groan, but I was like, it feels like it's forced. Like he's got to make some comment. Did you learn any lessons from your time in Afghanistan? I did. Never travel anywhere that doesn't have a Four Seasons. That would be funny in 2008. It's not funny so many years later because we are past that. And I know it sounds so pretentious to say that because it's a funny line. I'm not going to rip on the writers. I don't think the episode is a bad episode. I don't think the episode was badly written. I think the issue is that you're kicking back to the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you're sort of encapsulating 
that world. And in some ways you're supposed to, because that's what we're hitting on. Iron Man, we're taking that time period. So I'm not going to fault the episode for doing that. It just didn't work. And the other part of that, Adam, is that this also feels like a retread of Black Panther, particularly Killmonger's story. So I was actually pretty interested in this idea of, okay, Killmonger rescues Tony Stark, as you mentioned, and the Watcher says, Though the man was saved, a hero was lost, and a villain was given a new chance. And I felt like the rug got kind of pulled out from under me, because that was never the intent. In fact, at some point, Killmonger is talking to, I think it's Rhodes, they're doing the deal where they're trying to get the vibranium. He says, kid, you gotta be part of the system to change the system. And Killmonger says, nah, you could burn it down. (laughs) I think this is really the essence of what kind of bothers me about the episode. There's no real redemption for Killmonger. Like all the way through, I find it very interesting that he does that whole Palpatine thing where he's playing the victim or he's playing people against each other. That's a cool concept. It's not a bad storytelling device. But if the only redemptive portion of that comes at the very end when he goes through that dream sequence and T'Challa reminds him, Because you stole it, power and end can be a very volatile force, cousin. It will get the best of you eventually, on your plane or on ours. To me, that's not a payoff. To me, that's a, let's have 25 minutes of Killmonger being Killmonger and sort of expanding his character from Black Panther, but not really changing. And at the end, just sort of getting a little bit of good advice from the dead. (laughs) So I think that that's probably why I didn't connect with it that much because I love Killmonger in Black Panther. And I think Michael B. Jordan, both in this and in Black Panther, does a phenomenal job with that character. But when you have those concepts, like you mentioned, of the world without Tony Stark means the world without Iron Man, what would that do for the rest of the Avengers? Would they come together still? The third part about this that I was frustrated with was that we get to that famous press conference And we're kind of waiting for him to, he's been rescued and he says sort of the same thing. He goes, Hey, I learned something out there. And what we would normally hear in Iron Man is that, Hey, I'm getting rid of all the weapons. It's all about peace. I knew we wouldn't get that because he was rescued and nothing would change, but it just felt weird for him to say, I saw young Americans killed by the very weapons I created to protect them. And I realized we have to do better, build bigger and fight better. For them. Like, wait, that doesn't make sense. You were killed with your, you were attacked with your own weapons and people were killed with your own weapons. The thing that puts you in a position to become a peacemaker as Iron Man still happened. It's not like that factor was ignored. So to be able to say, yeah, you know, that just kind of made me want to fight more. Like, okay, so the next kind of technology that you're going to create, once it gets into the hands of bad guys, it's going to be your fault 10 times over, Tony. Yeah. So I felt like he didn't really learn his lesson. And so the episode sort of started off with like, I'm not really buying that. I think we just sort of forced these two characters together to get an interesting kind of vehicle for Killmonger as a character to do his thing. And that felt a bit cheap. Yeah, it felt forced. I agree. Killmonger here is in full villain mode. He has no redeeming qualities that 
we are presented really in the episode. Now, if you go back to Black Panther, we get his backstory. We get what happened to him as a child, what happened to his father. We understand a little more about where he's coming from, but we don't have any of that. There was like a throwaway line where he mentions that his father, to Tony, that his father died when he was a child. And I think that's it. There's really nothing else. So what we get really is just this bad dude. <laughs> He's just power hungry. And you don't, as a main character, because spoiler alert, he kills just about everyone else in this episode, including Tony, who's sort of the main character that we're introduced to first. So here we are following Killmonger. And if you're following a villain as the main character, you have to be able to relate to that character. You have to be able to say, okay, I kind of see where they're coming from, right? Even if I wouldn't do what they're doing, I can see why they're making those choices. And in Black Panther, I think you could up until a certain point, you, you could say, okay, I get it. He's angry. He's He has this history and that sort of led him to this point and but you don't get that here because we have we're limited to 30 minutes and i think that might be why it didn't work as well is that we're not we can't relate and follow this main character and have sympathy for him and hope that he finds as you said hope that he eventually finds redemption or or that he gets defeated in some way and, and good prevails so it does end sort of i don't want to jump ahead too much but it doesn't it does end on somewhat of a cliffhanger so we don't really know where it could potentially go in this universe but that's also that's one of my other gripes is that i was kind of shocked that it just kind of cut off and like went to the credits at the end i was like wait yeah. a minute what that's the ending it felt <laughs> like the midpoint of an episode even though i didn't want this to go on for an hour <laughs> i didn't feel like that was a good place to end it i get that again that it was like almost like a cliffhanger like that okay you know these characters are on that pepper and and suri are on to him sort of and they're gonna try to expose him but it just felt like they cut it off i don't yeah. know what did you think it was incomplete, that's for sure. Yeah. Obviously, we have pockets of good ideas in this episode. As you mentioned before, this concept of not having Iron Man, what would happen with the Avengers. I even like the idea of what if Killmonger became Black Panther, but not in this way. If somehow T'Challa died, not at the hands of Killmonger like everybody else in this episode, but <laughs> if somehow they were switched at birth, like what if... T'Challa became Killmonger, or what? Right. If, you know, what What would that look like? Just reverse Black Panther, because that same concept exists. Like having a father versus not having a father. That would be mm-hmm. a great exploration of like, would that really shape who you were? And there was a moment, Adam, when it's just before Tony gets killed, and Tony said, "I really thought we were going to be able to change the world together." And I yeah. don't remember the line specifically, but it's almost as if Killmonger said, "What made you think that?" And he said, "Because we both." have father wounds, essentially, that we're trying to work through. And Killmonger sort of just dusts that off. He kind of brushes it off and said, The difference between you and me, that you can't see the difference between you and me. And I'm like, that's kind of lame, because they are. And that would be a cool thing, to be able to say, what would two people who come from completely different worlds, literally, who have the same kind of father wound, How would they change the world? How would they be able to get to a place where they could solve a big problem like this? Now, would it be in a superhero movie? I have no idea. But that concept is really cool. And it really felt like it was just dismissed. Like, oh, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. You know, if I'm a writer, I'm I'm looking at that and going, okay, you either didn't see that as a good idea or you just thought 
that was one of many, let's just create a little throwaway line for it. It just felt very dismissive to think, because that could have been something good. I think watching Killmonger just take people out left and right, I get that What If is a playground for doing that. I mean, episode three, what if the world lost its mightiest heroes, right? We didn't get right, it. Right, right. You know, we got you know, assassination and a whodunit. Here, I think it just feels like it makes the deaths of each person feel less important as we as we go through it. Like T'Challa's death is a big deal, but only because during the Wakandan battle, we get somebody yelling, Yeah. I mean, he wasn't, and it's reinforced with that dream sequence. Tony gets killed a day after or a few days after they've been working together. And then it just seems like, you know, everybody else is just pretty much victims. <laughs> and so I think that because I didn't get a lot of redemption, because I felt like as much as I like Killmonger, I understood in Black Panther his frustration and his grief and why he did what he did, which makes him an interesting villain. Just like Thanos is a really interesting villain. He's not just a mustache twirling guy yeah. who you're like, let's just take him out. In 30 minutes, it's difficult to kind of get to that point. But as we've seen in past episodes, we can hit those emotional points and we can tell a complete story. We don't have to be two hours into a movie or to a TV show to really get that kind of emotional connection. So I felt overall like the episode was sort of like a cheapie. And I think it was yeah. accented by that last scene where if I'm a writer, I'm going, okay, we need to make sure that our audience feels like <laughs> Killmonger's not going to get away with it. So Pepper goes into her office and she sees, uh, who was it? Was it Siri? Who looks much younger, which is another, that led yeah. to my question. Like, does this take place in the same time that Black Panther took place or is this all happening at like an accelerated pace like just a year after the events of Iron Man are we now introduced to the Wakandan world which again we as the audience weren't aware of it until 10 years later in our time I think that it is part of that first phase era I think it's within okay. the first four years of that because while it would take a long time to build the Liberator drones, which, by the way, that's cool. I love the, the drones. I love the concept yeah. of being able to mimic a human response similar to, like, Adam and Real Steel. This idea of being able to shadow box, essentially. I yeah. thought that was a cool concept. Or uh, Pacific Rim. Or Pacific Rim, right. Yeah, this, yeah. Th this kind of mashup. Uh, although I don't think the I think they're, because they're drones, they weren't powered by by humans. Although they had the drift, the ability to kind of control them with their minds, so that was kind of cool. Right. But I think that we're probably talking a couple of years at most. So I think Suri's age is appropriate for that period. But we get to the end there, and Pepper's like she meets her, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm smart too. I know Tony was, and we're going to figure this out." and <laughs> It definitely sets us up for what I would call a nice 2008 sequel, where we're ready for part two of whatever we're calling this. Not what if, yeah. but Killmonger Panther, or whatever we're going to call him. And like you, I wasn't really interested in that, because I feel like it would be predictable that at some point, Suri's going to come in, and she's going to convince Killmonger to turn good, or in the second one, he's going to be killed. Black Panther will be killed. And that moniker will be handed to someone else. I mean, that's right. kind of the predictable nature of that. And that goes back to the stories that we're familiar with from 2008, 
in 2009. They sort of play themselves out in that kind of way. But unlike the other what if episodes that sort of end on a quote cliffhanger, those stories felt like complete stories with wish lists of like, yeah, if this went anywhere, it could do this. This felt deliberately like, you know what? We're not done. (laughs) Yeah. That's frustrating because if you're going to give me a trilogy, give me a complete first entry. I've gotten used to the fact that second entries are typically just a long trailer for the third one because (laughs) you're just right in the thick of things. But what if doesn't need to do that? And so when you deliberately kind of leave us on a cliffhanger that you know you're never going to pay off, that just that's kind of rude as well. Yeah, I've mixed feelings about this because I still enjoyed it on a certain level. I was entertained. There's good action. Really great to hear all these voice actors reprise their roles. But it just, I think, ultimately comes down to what I said in the beginning, that it feels like two different what-if episodes that could have been individually really compelling, but mashed together didn't quite work. There were some things, I think pockets of things that worked for me, and I don't I don't yeah. want to leave us on a on a like poo. <laughs> poo no, thing. no. Yeah, so. there's definitely some really great scenes that are really by themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really fun. Yeah. I loved any scene with Ulysses, uh, Andy Circus's character. I thought he just chews every scene that he's in. I just love Andy Circus. I think No, he's always great. Yeah. I think that just watching him go back and forth with Killmonger. They make kind of a fun team of sort of like pulling the wool over the eyes of the people that they're cutting this deal with. Yeah. Um, I also like that happy got a little moment. He was apparently supposed to get promoted, but that didn't happen. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I remember that. So in uh, the first Iron Man, he was, essentially Tony's chauffeur and personal bodyguard. And then he later did get promoted to head of security at Stark Industries. And that was in Iron Man 3. So somewhere between Iron Man 1, Iron Man 3, he did ultimately get bumped up. And if I recall, in Iron Man 3, he got the promotion because he was constantly complaining about how ridiculous it felt to introduce himself as Tony's bodyguard. And so Tony finally gave him (laughs) a title you know, befitting uh, one of his best friends. But yeah, so that that was a nice little nod to the Iron Man trilogy and sort of Happy's growth within that. So he kind of got pushed to the side as a result of this what-if scenario. I also thought that, as I mentioned before, the technology in this episode was really cool. There's um, a great kind of rehash of building what was going to be the Mark I Iron Man suit is now the the Liberator some great lines here about the design of the yeah. of the of the suit. I think Tony says something like, Wow. Uh, bold design choice. What? I like anime. Worst case scenario, we'll end up with the world's most expensive Gundam model. Uh, and, that, and that was one of the lines I liked, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it was his sort of, uh, I guess, college project or design that he had submitted and at, never finished or something like that. Yeah, MIT. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah uh, I, I liked it, too. They, they were cool. I mean, that's the one thing that at least carried through is they were able to get some really cool Stark tech in there. Even though we don't have Iron Man, we have these cool robots. Right. And I think when we see Killmonger's whole kind of MO play out, I appreciated that a lot. I mean, that's a great strategy to set up i mean he had this thing going from the get-go yeah to be able to make these threads and to kind of be aloof in some ways and just sort of make little 
dialogue nods here and there, just sort of forcing thoughts to come in. You know, Pepper saw right through him. I think Rhodes is asking her, there's nothing wrong with him that that we see. And she's like, it's my job to sniff out exactly what it is they want with him. And what do you smell? Nothing. And that's the problem. Everyone wants something. I like that Pepper is being Pepper Potts. You know, she's not just yeah. his mistress, woman, uh, <laughs> secretary, whatever she was. Yeah, I, I think at this point she was just working for him. I don't even think right. they had started uh, any uh, later on. Of course, they become romantically involved. But <laughs> at this point, they were just uh, employees, both of right. them, both Rhodes and Pepper. Yeah. Yeah. Killmonger alludes to after Tony dies, he alludes to Pepper having some feelings for, for Tony and she gives him a look. So right. there might've been something there, but I, I like seeing her detective skills at work. You know, it's very much Gwyneth Paltrow doing, doing that throughout the Iron Man trilogy. You know, seeing that on display here is pretty fantastic. I think the other thing that I really enjoyed was the hand-to-hand combat, less the big battle sequence in Wakanda and more about the way in which we see hard-hitting fights once again. This is yeah. something that I think is consistent with every episode is these one-on-one fist fights, these hand-to-hand combat is just like pound, pound, pound. It just feels like if you get hit in the face, you're not going to have a face. It's just <laughs> right. that, that yeah. powerful. And they don't even have to be thrown like 50 feet in the air. I mean, it's just like these slow, like, boom, you know, like th- that yeah. you can only do with animation that's still consistent in this episode as well. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I think, the Black Panther fight was, the way he moved, it was so graceful and it, through animation, they were really able to make his character move in such a, you know, almost animal-like fashion, hence the name Black Panther. He was really just amazing in how he fought and moved. And again, in the films, in Black Panther, for example, that was one of my gripes about film at the very end is that when it all went really cg at the end of the first black panther film i started looking at how black panther was moving and you could just tell it was no longer a human being it was a computer animated version of black panther which doesn't work as well in a live action film but here in an animated show they were able to make him move in my opinion so much better as an animated character because there's different rules to the physics because it's not a real live action setting they're not yeah. moving him in live action sets or locations he's in an all animated environment so there's something advantageous with this animation format and style that they can get out of these action scenes they get a certain type of stylized action that is fully believable and really as you said really powerful you can feel it but it still feels it still has that grounded sensibility to it, not like cartoonish. Yeah, it's it feels balanced in this kind of setting. The other thing I liked was, you know, we talked about the design of the Liberator. There's this really interesting line that I think the general says after Killmonger starts manufacturing this. He says, uh, congratulations, Lieutenant, you just invented 21st century warfare. And I, I started thinking a little bit about where we are with UAVs and what that's going to look like in the next 20 to 30 years. It's uh, it's scary because I think some of this technology that sort of gets played with in these superhero sci-fi movies come from a place of reality. Is there an element called vibranium or something close to it that could potentially change 
the way in which we manufacture things and how stuff that could be or, so beneficial or to just culture unmanned sort of robotic and we have drones that for bombing missions but what about just robotic drones that can or remote control drones that can be go into an enemy territory like like these things I mean, we're not that far away from that really being possible maybe not to the extent that this show is implying but right you know there's we are making robots that can do things within the next 20 years we might be at a point where we can make sort of robotic bipedal drones like this that can go into an enemy uh territory to potentially protect american soldiers or or soldiers in general from any country from from being injured so it is it's it's one of the things i like about science fiction is that it's always playing around with the ideas of things that could be right around the corner and more often than not science fiction becomes science fact (laughs) and it it just takes time and you know if you look at a lot of things a lot of science fiction from the 50s and 60s some of it's ridiculous and never happened but then there's some things you're like oh they kind of got that right and a lot of the elements for example in 2001 a space odyssey were things that ended up happening so it's amazing when those predictions kind of come true it would be kind of cool to see this sort of robotic technology come to life one day but obviously i don't want to see them in my backyard (laughs) no that's that's for sure i I did have a question maybe you can answer it sure killmonger develops these robots with the help of the Patriot Act <laughs> got through all the red tape, as it said. Right. And uh, I don't know who funded it. Maybe we did. But the attack on Wakanda, it's all his idea. You know, let him come in. Once the shield goes down, they can't connect with their people on the outside. And then he has this like magic kind of, you know, garage door button <laughs> that really kind of reactivates them. I wondered because he designed them or he had a hand in it, did he put a fail safe kind of weak spot in them? I sort of thought maybe that was the case because he puts the spear, the vibranium spear, right in the chest of one of the robots, one of the drones, and it dies. And so I wonder if he had, because he put this whole plan together, would he have put in like a weak point in the drones? Like, yeah, just under their arm or right at the right of their chest under the under the K of Stark Industries. That gave him the ability to be able just to kill these drones so quickly. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I thought the same thing, actually. Before it actually happened, I was like, does he have a button or something where he can, like, run up to them and, like, stab them and then hit a button that makes them explode so it looks like he's the hero? Like, is he basically creating a, a magic show or an illusion that he's a superhero that can kill off all these drones? But I don't think that they gave us any clue or any kind of evidence that he did something specific like that. I took that one shot where he stabbed it with a spear as just him kind of further destroying Stark Industries. You know, like he's like, he was kind of reminded, oh, Tony Stark. So he like stabbed the logo basically to kind of, as sort of like a symbolic gesture, like I've won. But not only did I kill the man, now I've killed his inventions and everything that he stood for. Uh, although what's weird is he didn't stab the word Stark. He stabbed the word Industries, which I thought was, if that's if my idea was correct, he should have stabbed the word Stark, right? Because he was like right. taking another blow against Stark. So I'm not sure. I don't think 
they gave us enough information here to know for sure one way or the other. I think it's very possible that he, as you said, because he was so involved in their design that he knew where they were weak, right? That like anything, there's going to be weak spots and there's going to be places where they might have malfunctions because they were testing their development together. Yeah, I don't think that it was a specific like kill switch or something (laughs) or killmonger switch it was a killmonger Killmonger switch switch. yeah (laughs) unless i missed something maybe maybe i i blinked and they they showed something (laughs) i missed it i've seen it twice for the for the pod and i did not get any hints but i was right there with you in terms of as the scene was playing out i was wondering if that was his plan if he was going to sort of so that he could become black panther be offered the mantle that he had to create the illusion that he's this amazing hero, defender right. of, of Wakanda. Right, because I don't think the Wakandans knew that he was a part of creating those drones. I don't think so. I think they knew that he was a, a military man, that he was a, a warrior, if you will, but not necessarily one that could take on the role of Black Panther. He had to set up a show <laughs> for the for the people. <laughs> You know, to, it was so a good he should be their hero. Yeah. It was a good show, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, any other parting shots before we wrap up? I can't help but notice that one of the last scenes in the episode, we see Killmonger with T'Challa talking in the, the afterlife. Is that what they call it? In the dream world culture? or something? The dream world, yeah. yeah. And it's sort of nice that we got to hear, again, hear Chadwick Boseman still alive in the Wakandan dream world or afterlife so it was kind of a nice i don't know if this is his last appearance as we've mentioned he recorded several so will he pop up in another episode and i think we have like three or four episodes left in this season so it's possible but if not that was a nice little final time to hear him hear Mm -hmm. his voice it's a bit symbolic too that it happened in the dream world and when he appeared he was the black panther so even putting on a uniform doesn't make Killmonger, Black Panther. I think that's what the story was trying to tell us, that right. the real Black Panther still lives beyond his world. So right. take that's that a good point. there, Killmonger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of an original series. Adam, what is coming up next? Uh, next is episode seven. This is called What If Thor were an only child, which I'm down with that. That sounds interesting because I'm a big fan of Thor and Loki and that whole, I'm assuming that's the implication that there's no Loki or maybe that's not true. Maybe it's something else, but it, that this could be interesting. (laughs) What do you think? I mean, (laughs) your predictions are so great. It could be this or not, you know, or not. Well, that that's pretty much something completely different. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm down with that too. I think the absence of Loki in a, Thor-based story is really compelling because he has such an impact on Thor's life throughout right. the entire Thorverse. Yeah, he definitely helped shape who Thor is. Right. Without him, so many of the actions that Thor takes are due to Loki's actions, right? So, yeah. again, sort of like if Tony Stark hadn't become Iron Man, what would those ramifications be? So, this seems a little more straight forward but in terms of it's just it's just about the i'm assuming asgardian world but maybe not maybe there's more to it i'm excited i i think this sounds interesting and i'm I, i'm looking forward to it me too man 
Me too. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation. I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here.